Yeehaw, and welcome to the Revive Podcast. We're coming up on the 4th of July, and I'm Carrie, pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Neighborhood Church. Thank you for joining us. Each week, we create and curate resources to help people thrive in Christ, and it's all available at neighborhoodchurch.com slash revive. Today, I'm here again with Pastor Justin from our Losal campus. Hey, good to be with you, Carrie. Yeah, good to have you back, Justin. And it's great to have Steve Ellis back on the podcast, too. Steve, good to have you. Hey, guys. Great to be with you tonight again. Awesome. It was great having you back in the saddle, or should I say, in the pulpit on Sunday at our Cypress campus, Steve. Steve is one of our elders here, and great to have you back. Before you dive in with us in our conversation here, we were in Psalm 98 on Sunday, Psalm 98, verses 1 through 9. So if you have a chance and you're not uh, in a place where you're carrying, holding two babies at the same time, and as a mom on a busy uh, walk, whatever you're doing, if you have the opportunity to stop, crack open a Bible and read Psalm 98. That would be great. And then you'll get it straight from the source. Um, Psalm 98, verses 1 through 9. And as you've done that, you can click play and follow along in our discussion as we dive in deeper and get some cool extra tidbits here. Um, We're going into Psalm 98 and kind of thinking about the context of where this is in the book of Psalms. And Steve, you shared some cool stuff about where we've been in Psalms over the last couple chapters and where we are now. Do you want to kind of elucidate a little bit? Yeah, well, um, sure. So, I mean, Psalm 98 is, I think, one of what they call the enthronement psalms. It's a, it's a messianic psalm looking forward to, you know, the millennial kingdom and the ultimate reign of Christ as the Messiah. And I, I'm not sure what the actual cultural setting was for this. Uh, you know, David was the writer of most of the Psalms, and and he, of course, was, you know, a type of Christ, and he was the king and and gave Israel many victories. You know, he he killed Goliath, and they sang, you know, David's slain his ten thousands. Uh, so he was, you know, a conquering king uh, in the same way that, you know, Christ will be, all, all the, he, he foreshadowed that, obviously. So I don't know if this Psalm was written after one of his you know, victories in battle. It talks a lot about, you know, God having gained the victory by his right hand and his holy arm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I yeah. think something to play off of that. Sorry, go ahead, Carrie. I don't want to cut you off. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I remember my Hebrew professor in seminary, one of the things he talked about where that the Psalms are very much into remembering and that often you'll see he described kind of the Hebrew worldview and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but this is just of it is like, it's a rowboat and in a rowboat you're facing backwards um, to go forward. And the idea is that nice. very much of Israel's worship was looking back. And we see that in the first couple of verses here, right. Is looking back to God's faithfulness in the past through, you know, whatever these great works are in verses one and two, which could be Exodus you know, going into the land, coming back from Babylon, if it's, if, if this is a post-Davidic Psalm, any or all of those, um, but all of those inform how they move forward and what they're looking forward to, to God, ultimately making things right through his Messiah, ultimately. So I think that's a kind of fits into that too, of what he's looking forward to, but also there's that looking back to what God's done in the past, which I think is really, I've always loved that image. Um, nice man i love how like what a good visual picture that is and when i hear messianic psalm i think is it just really disorganized and like needs the cleaners to drop by like what is messianic 
messianic in in the sense that it is prophetic it is looking toward christ like you know i completely agree with justin you know in terms of how it's it's a time of remembrance but i i i think there's also a parallel in verse one and two talking about you know he's gained the victory through his right arm and his uh, his right hand and his holy arm and we know that it's Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, and it's Christ through whom God redeems us and has gained the victory. And and the right hand is kind of uh, universally known as the hand of power. It was the hand that held the sword, and the shield was in the left. And you know, Psalms ninety eight is kind of in the middle of this group of psalms, which goes from like ninety five through ninety nine. And and Psalm ninety five is a little bit different because at the end it talks about how. Um, you know, God was frustrated with Israel and that generation and their unfaithfulness. And then uh, Psalm 98, in, in many ways, is kind of an echo of 96 and 97, where they're talking about singing a new song to the Lord and shouting joyfully to him because of his mighty works. And it's kind of a new season and a new song. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think Mike talked about it when we started out too, where these, you have these different books of the Psalms, right? Um, and they're clustered together. And I, this was relatively new to me. Um, but one of the things you see is books one and two are very much a lot of from David's life. And that's where the bulk of his Psalms are that are specifically associated with him. And then book three is very much about, um, it's, it's, it's a dark section of the Psalms where a lot of it, and I think even the last one, I think Psalm 89 could be 88, but around there you have them weeping you know, on the, on the, at the river in Babylon as they're exiled. And so this is very much, you know, there's what the Psalm, the, the original context when the Psalm's written, which is fascinating and important. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. And then there's, there's then how it's assembled, right. And it's put into these different books. And if the, the, the guys who believe these are clustered for a purpose, then yeah, we're in this awesome cluster where it's looking forward to here's Messiah who's going to make things right. You know, yeah, we've seen great stuff in the past, but you haven't seen nothing yet. Kind of, kind of perspective on it, which I think is really, really cool. Mm, yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like yeah. it's pretty cool for them to be in that rowboat looking back at a victory King David may have won, or some other kind of king, uh, kingly victory happening in Israelite history. But at the same time, yeah, if they're exiled in Babylon reading these Psalms, then they do need a hope to cling to. And yeah. like you guys said, that hope is messianic, i.e. it's rooted in the Messiah, um, whom we know is Jesus Christ, who would eventually come and fulfill that role. Um, what do you guys think? I think one of you guys may have mentioned that that this Messiah ideology that's rooted in Psalm 98 and the Psalms around it, that there's a type of Christ. David is a type of Christ. Is he like on a, a keyboard, like writing out Jesus' name? Or like, what is type of Christ supposed to mean? Um, well, I'll let Justin expound. He's the theologian here. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think all of the, most all of the Old Testament characters are types of Christ. You know, they are shadows. They are, you know, sort of uh, precursors to the coming Messiah, David being one, you know, Joseph being one, Moses being one. And if you, if you look at their lives and their stories, you can kind of see the parallels um, in terms of, uh, you know, the Christ's work that uh, mm. they were pointing to, because all of the Old Testament really points to the, to the coming Christ. Yeah. And I think, I think you see, I, yeah, I agree with Steve. I mean, that that's all, 
you know, in preparation for Messiah and whom all the promises are fulfilled. Right. Um, but with David, there's even, there's, there's a, 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 even more specific link, you know, I think it's second Samuel seven where the promise is made, you know, where the, the, uh, there'll always be a King in the line. I, you know, I'm, I'm missing the, the words up a little bit there, but there's a promise that David will always have the throne. Um, and that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. You know, obviously there's some hiccups here and there, but, um, that's where it's ultimately fulfilled. And, um, yeah, but yeah. And, and so there's that specific link, but all of it's preparing for Messiah, the one that will, you know, undo the serpent's work. Right. Right. I mean, one of the parallels, I mean, even if you read the testimony of Stephen in Acts chapter seven, he kind of mm-hmm. walks the, the crowd, the Pharisees through the whole history of Israel at that point. He talks about Moses, you know, how, um, mm-hmm. you know, he came to the children of Israel. They rejected him the first time he comes back, accepted the second time, you know, and then there's that specific reference where, you know, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses, him shall you hear. And so that's kind of the the foreshadowing uh, of Christ and how Moses is kind of a, in, in one aspect, a type of Christ. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yes. We see that in a lot of ways that these, these characters, these historical figures in the old Testament, they really happened. They really were real people and we can learn from their examples and the ways that they interacted with God. And yet the authors at the same time were writing, remembering details that had happened and choosing events in these these people's lives in history that truly did happen, but writing these in a sequence that would show how Jesus would come and what he would be like. And that's pretty cool to see that, like, we don't have to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith and be like, nah, Jesus came. Let's just read the New Testament and forget the old stuff with the old stuff. The Old Testament gives us so much cool insight for how Jesus would come and what he would fulfill and what he would be like. Pretty cool stuff. Amen. So next time you crack open uh, the first couple chapters of First Chronicles and start reading those genealogies, woo, you can know that... Uh, it may still be valuable. <laughs> the Old Testament is still a great one. I just got done with those. Uh, yeah, nice. they're rough. They're rough. <laughs> those first 10 chapters of Chronicles, man. Woo, some it's parts tough. of the Bible are a lot easier to read than the others. Yeah. But it, like, it, you know, what is that uh, passage? And is it Second Timothy 3.16 or something? Yeah, it's like yeah. all scripture is God-breathed and inspired yeah. and useful for teaching yeah. and reproof and correction. Second yeah. Timothy 3.16, you got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, whew. oh whew. thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, man, the Bible is so cool. Gosh, you know, as you guys were talking, there's one passage that, Steve, you mentioned. You, uh, you were already lifting out Acts 7 and holding it as a great example of how Stephen walks us through so many Old Testament things that found their fulfillment in the Christ, in Jesus, the Messiah. There's that other part you mentioned earlier when we were talking before we started recording where there's Mary's, uh, Mary makes a reference to a fulfillment in Christ too. Do you want to? Yeah. Um, there were a couple of things that I, you know, didn't make it into the message that I learned during the study. One, one that I mentioned was the fact that, uh, the Christian hymn at Christmas time, joy to the world is drawn from Psalm 98 and then Psalm 98 chapter three, uh, where they're talking about, you know, Lord remembering his God, remembering his faithfulness to Israel. That verse is quoted by Mary in Luke chapter one. I think it's verse 54 where she goes to, to, while she's pregnant with the Christ child goes and meets with Elizabeth, who I think was her cousin. Um, and the, you know, Elizabeth's baby who, who then becomes, 
you know, uh, John the Baptist leaps in her womb and, and then Mary launches into this like 15 verse poem that is all verses from the Old Testament, including uh, this reference to Psalm 98 verse three. Now, I thought that was an interesting connection. Yeah. Man, how cool yeah. is that? Even it's amazing. Very... Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's amazing just how interwoven the scriptures are. It shouldn't surprise us, but I think when you look at it at the at the granular level, you look really close. It just it's amazing. I mean, we're, I, we're doing a Bible study with the Baptists where we, we meet at First Baptist of Los Alamitos and we have a midweek Bible study. We're going through Revelation and it's just immersed in in the old testament um the the you know god's working one story it's a complex story and there's parts where we might scratch our heads but the main storyline is clear and the it's woven beautifully um and and, what's that an integrated message system yeah yeah absolutely talking about revelation if if you don't know your old testament you won't understand revelation because many of the images and the idioms that appear in Revelation are drawn from the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So attached to Daniel and all those other prophets. It's just fascinating how the Bible, as we read it, like you, it's all these different authors, right? From different cultures, writing in different languages, from different centuries, from different countries. And yet it's just a testament to the fact that God himself, God, the spirit would inspire all of them to, to sync together because they sync together so beautifully, despite all of those different backgrounds and perspectives that all those writers are writing from just an amazing piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. I go, go read the Bible. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say, Steve? I was just saying, you know, talking earlier about the old Testament characters as the types of Christ. I mean, just consider Joseph, you know, rejected, sold into slavery by his own brothers, his own family, you know, as Christ was rejected. And then he ends up, um, you know, actually coming back and then redeeming uh, his family at the right hand of Pharaoh. So, I mean, those parallels, I think, to Christ are pretty obvious there, too. Yeah, man, so cool. Uh, Justin, you had mentioned earlier, too, about how there's another sync um, between, uh, I think, somewhere in Romans and Psalm 98. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get this, uh, you have this uh, just great connection. And those last couple of verses, I just, I love, my fa- probably my favorite section of scripture is the end of Job, where God speaks and says, you know, kind of, where were you in all of this? And I just love the images of creation in scripture and the beauty and the power and all of that of nature. And then with, you have this, you have the sea roaring and all that fills it, the rivers clapping their hands and, you know, creation really singing its praise to God. And there's a, a, a degree to which that happens now. And we can learn from that. And maybe we'll talk about that later, maybe not, but, um, but there's also the fact that even creation is, um, bearing the weight of sin and not that uh, creation's culpable for sin or anything like that. But when Adam sinned, it wasn't just, Oh, bummer. Adam's relationship with God is broken. It got broken in four different ways. First of all, it ruptured his relationship with God. Clearly it, it, it 
caused internal strife where his conscience is broken. So he's broken internally. It broke him socially in terms of him and Eve started blaming each other. And so there's the social uh, disruption there. And then creation was cursed as well. You know, that the pain and childbearing, the, the difficulty of labor works a gift from God, but after the curse, it's a pain, right? So all of those things happen. And so in Romans eight, as Paul's talking about the work of the spirit and, and ultimately how God is going to bring us through and make us whole, Creation's brought into that as well, that creation is groaning, awaiting for the revelation. And, and I can't remember exactly how it's it's completed there, but but that God's going to make everything right. And that includes a restoration of creation for all that it intended to be. So, um, and I just, you know, again, you see the, the thread of everything coming together, that what's broken in the beginning in Genesis 3 is going to be restored by the end. Um, and this psalm looks forward, it looks to some of the beautiful things that happen now in creation, but also I think that's looking forward to when Jesus makes everything right, it's going to be everything made right. That is so cool that his salvation, his victory, the Lord has made known his salvation is not ju- not just for humans, but actually for all of creation. It's yeah. that holistic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How yeah, cool. Super cool. Yeah. Man, so I, I don't know if I've, I love going outdoors. I love hiking, biking, kayaking, you know, being out in nature. I don't think I've ever heard the sea shout or rivers clapping their hands. So like, so what is that? Like, have you, you, haven't been, you haven't been in Narnia yet then apparently or something, right? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't met enough naiads and dryads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's just the, I've been talking a bit. Do you want to take this, Steve? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it's just what you were saying earlier uh, that's in Romans chapter eight, you know, the all creation longs and groans for its redemption. And when it's, when it's restored, and that complete harmony, uh, you know, these are obviously images of what it's like, you know, the um, Julie Andrews said, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music, right? So, <laughs> and uh, when, when Christ comes back, they will all sing in harmony. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Doe a deer, a yeah. female deer singing yeah. out, out in harmony. <laughs> yeah. That, um yeah, and when you know the sea roaring and the rivers clapping, like that—that's obviously the It's just it's imagery, but I think it's it's a good point that when we do what God's made us to do, there's worship in that, right? And so yeah. these are when when rivers do what they're supposed to do, and and seas roar, and they demonstrate reveal God's power and um, all of those things when they're doing what God made them to do, that's an, a, an act of worship to him. And that's a good illustration for us. You know, sometimes, sometimes we got to do what we've got to do. Um, but other times when you're doing something where you just know you're made for this, when you're serving someone or you're, you're teaching or you're counseling or you're uh, moving chairs or taking care of babies or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I love this. Um, that's, it isn't how you sing. Um, it's, that's, that's the only one aspect of worship. It's, you're really worshiping God as you do what you're made as, to do. As, as originally created, you know, all of creation, all of the universe was in harmony. And yeah. Justin, you talked about the dissonance that mm-hmm. was caused by the fall in those various areas. And, you know, when that harmony is restored, you know, the lion lays down with the lamb and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that it's just going to be a different environment altogether. So. Yeah. Mm, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah. I almost think uh, 
like thinking about living as we were created to be and doing what God has created us and called us to do. I think of Eric Little, you know, Chariots of Fire, <laughs> like where he's, yeah. he's running and like, you know, how, what is holy about that? He's just a mm-hmm. runner in the Olympics or whatever. And, but he says, no, when I feel, when I run, I feel God's pleasure yeah. that he was created to do this. And when yeah. he's doing his best at what he was called to do, um, God is pleased because he's, he's fulfilling that calling. I think, man, yeah. what a, what a good encouragement for us that we can worship God by, you know, um, whatever kind of vocation God may find us in or call us to. That's really an equalizing and a freeing truth, um, that all, all kinds of callings can be truly worship if we're doing them with a the whole heart and, you know, good attitude. And that's pretty yeah. cool. That's funny. I, uh, Psalm 96 is similar to Psalm 98 and I had to preach Psalm 96 as well. It would have been better if I planned it so that someone else preached it, but I'm like, man, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of emptied the chamber on Psalm 96. <laughs> so I, I actually used that Eric little quote and <laughs> on Psalm nice. 96 a couple weeks ago. So, uh, yeah. But <laughs> Good. So I guess we'll just end this revive episode short because uh, we've run out of material. Justin's got his hoppers empty. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. Um, I well, but I do love what you guys talked about with creation that like, um, like see getting out and seeing the bigness of what God has created and his creativity and the beauty. Justin, I know you've talked a lot about the beauty of uh, Washington state back up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you were born and raised and mm-hmm. um, just thinking about how it points to God. That could be an application for us today as well. Oh, absolutely. I, that, since I had to think of new stuff, I just read a book called The Wisdom Pyramid, and it talks about how we build a life of wisdom. And, you know, you start at the bottom with scripture, then it's the church, then it's then it's creation is what he puts as kind of the third most important thing. And then there's some others after that and social media is last. And he said, but unfortunately we (laughs) often, we often invert the wisdom pyramid and and spend most of our time on that as opposed to the places where we'll actually get good godly wisdom. But in that he talks about, you know, how, how creation can help us think clearly about God. You know, you, you know, um, I, I think it was John Piper wrote, you know, something years ago saying, um, go to the grand Canyon and think, I dare you to think how great you are. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. you're, you're humbled when you get in big spaces and, and, and you ex- encounter creation, you see the bigness of God or the beauty of God. Um, so um, I, I love that. I mean, going to Hawaii, um, was, we just got back from Hawaii a couple of weeks ago and, and it was wonderful. And, and some of that was, I, I tried to one day just take notes on the beautiful things I saw so that I would make myself pay attention Um you know, uh, I just did it on my phone from time to time. And uh, it's good to be mindful. There's a, in that book, he mentioned that they have, there's a study in South Korea where they've had children who are tech addicted. They send them off to, to into the forest for a little bit of time. I don't know. He didn't have too many details, but it lowers their cortisol level. It lowers stress, um, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. And And he had mentioned that as we live increasingly urbanized lives, um, we have all kinds of mental health issues that come alongside that and just taking a walk in the woods or for us, we're blessed. It can be the woods or the beach, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, shame on us if we don't take advantage, if we're able and we're more able than many to find beautiful places to just uh, to, to catch our breath. Um, and life's hard and busy. So I don't, I don't 
want to put any guilt on that, but um, if we put our phone down, phones down a little bit, I think we could find some space and time to, to find some stuff that would really refresh us in the created world. So, wait, sorry, what were you saying, Justin? I was just texting a friend. Where, is, <laughs> where does soap opera television fall on the pyramid of wisdom? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's. Uh, is that kind of in the middle? You know, I don't, I, you know, that might be so, so foundational that it just didn't make the chart. Like, you know, that's just assumed that that's part, <laughs> it's you, know, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should probably go back to you, Steve. Are there any kind of applications that you I, I don't know. I'm from TV soap opera. That might be a little bit of walking in the council of the ungodly. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. But... <laughs> some about that in Psalm 1. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's a different psalm. Okay. <laughs> I want, one last thing I'd like to ask you guys is, um, like, I was just reading about at the very end of Psalm 98. Um, there's the trees, you know, clapping, the seas roaring, and the creation's rejoicing. And the reason why they're rejoicing culminates in verse 9, because yeah. the Lord is coming to judge the earth. I think Amen. a lot of times we think of judgment as something that's scary. Like, oh, man, don't judge me. Like, what, why would they rejoice about God coming to judge the earth? Be, you know, because, you know, he'll, I'm the lawyer, so I'll take this one first and then Justin can fill in. <laughs> um, it says he's coming to judge in righteousness and equity. And I think, you know, in anybody who pays attention to the culture and pays attention to politics and government, you know, we see so much corruption everywhere we look and there is so much injustice and so often you see a two-tiered system of justice where there's one system of justice for the rich and the powerful and the connected and then there's another system of justice for you know the oppressed and the downtrodden who mm. cannot curry favor and you know buy their their way out of their problems and you know to judge in equity uh you know christ is going to do away with you know, all of that privilege, there's going to be no yeah, buts uh, when he speaks and he pronounces judgment because his judgment will be completely equitable and mm. right, righteous. So, yeah. and I, I think, I think people long for that. Mm. I, I think people long for fairness and equity. Um, although, you know, you're right. Judgment carries with it the connotation and, and, you know, thank God that, you know, Christ is merciful and the Lord is merciful and we have a lot to look forward to that way. But, um, yeah. 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 No, I think that's, I think that's, that's the, the key part right there. And also you have this aspect of, remember, we're looking forward to the messianic King. And so as we see here, you know, we're, if we look forward from now, we're looking at that ultimate judgment. But if we look forward from the time this is written, there's also this, what happens at the cross, right? And so we have this moment here where God has judged righteously and he's poured his judgment out on Jesus in our place. So, you know, I broke it down. Mm -hmm. My sermon was we sing because God saves this is the first section, right? And then the next section was we we uh, make a joyful noise because God rules and then we um, celebrate because God judges and put all those together that, that God is a just judge and, and we're all, we all stand condemned, but he's also a savior. And so he sends his son to stand in our place um, and, and that we have hope in that. And then, you know, from the, we look forward from, to it from that perspective of creation as well, where it's, you know, creation's groaning, like this story needs to be wrapped up in a satisfying way. And that only comes with judgment when evil is purged and, and right. Christ reigns. So, 
Right. And then, I mean, one of the things that, that I mentioned uh, was Revelation chapter one, where John, the apostle John sees that image of the resurrected Christ and there's fire in his eyes because of the coming judgment. And, and John falls at his feet like a dead man. And then Christ lays his right hand on him, the hand of judgment and says, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, of yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it, it does feel awkward for us because we not that long ago like the only thing you could do bad was judge and now i think in the social media world everybody judges or at least many do and so you're either angry because you're judging someone or you're bummed out because you're getting judged but we don't see judgment as good either way it's a (laughs) no-win situation but with god it is god god will make things right in terms of just some some final thoughts just get outside you know um you know put some sunscreen on or whatever but um we live in a fabulous place and in a fabulous world and um first get in your bible and then second get to church and then after that get outside and see this amazing place god's made and let it shape your thinking and shape help you think about who god is so that's my final two cents amen man this has been really great you guys thanks for chatting with me here and this has been so fun um uh steve you know we had been talking earlier about your reference to uh the christian ska tiny niche scene in your sermon um my my youth group uh, growing up was uh, I think ska was like the soundtrack of our upbringing <laughs> in high school youth group, um, and but you know it's not it's not a ska song so I'm sorry I can't share it with us this time but but Shane and Shane do have a worship song that's exactly attached to Psalm 98. It's the words of Psalm 98. So if you have a song you want to take with you to the beach and listen along to, um, it's great. So I'll plug it in, neighborchurch.com slash revive. You can find it there along with all of our other resources, study guides, cool resources, blogs, articles, posts, videos. It's all there. So thanks you guys for joining me, Steve and Justin here today. And um, thank you, audience, for listening in uh, to another episode here of our Revive podcast. And special shout out to Bob, our awesome audio tech who edits each of these episodes. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend and keep reviving your soul by subscribing to this Neighborhood Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can learn more again about all of our topics we've talked about today. Check out neighborhoodchurch.com slash revive. You can connect with us as well on Facebook and Instagram. When you're not too busy on your phone and you had spent enough time outdoors, then you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram or Neighborhood Church of Cyprus YouTube channel and Neighborhood Church of Los Alamitos YouTube channels as well. If you have any questions, you can email me at Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y at NeighborhoodChurch.com. We hope you can join us next time. Until then, get outside and help God. We pray that God would revive your soul.